Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Wow. Today is a real um, family gathering. It just feels special. Because um, I believe it is special. There are just things that the Lord has for us today that um, I believe are um, uh, not just a, a, a passing of information, but a, an impartation. You know how like the greatest things from the Lord can't be taught, but they can be caught? I feel like we're in a, in a moment where we're going to catch something from the Lord. And, and I do want to say, um, before we, we jump in, uh, I want to say thank you also to our first and second year students for pouring out and being here. You guys are amazing. Aaron, Michaela, Tommy, so awesome. Courtney, Ariana, our Tuesday 12 to 2 prayers at worship leader, Joel, Art, Ethan, and Logan. They're just, if I forgot anyone, just forgive me, but you guys have just served so beautifully. Of course, our apprentices who we honored up here. It's been a, a joy, and uh, one of the greatest honors, uh, really, and greatest joys of our time, all of our time in ministry, just to, to run this last year with you, to serve and, and watch you guys shine. Um, well, um, let's pray again. Holy Spirit, we want to get everything that you have for us this morning, so we pray that your anointing would just flow, you would enlighten our eyes, you would open our ears, that you would show us wonderful things from scripture about your nature, about who you are in us and who we are in you. We thank you for what you've done, what you're doing and what you're going to do. We thank you that we can trust that your nature is good. Even when we're confused by circumstances around us, we can trust that you work all things for good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Continue to do all that's on your heart to do in this room today, amen. <sighs> Ashley and I, um, we just got back from a family trip uh, to Florida. Uh, it's very important to call it a trip, not a vacation, because if you're with kids, it's a trip and not a vacation. <laughs> but it was pretty close to a vacation, so it, we, it was, the weather was great, the water was Wonderful, except for that jellyfish incident. Praise the Lord for all of his wonderful creatures. You know, like, what is that jellyfish for anyway? Um, uh, <laughs> but so we've, uh, we've had a long week. Uh, we drove back Friday night, went to the USM graduation on Saturday. And, and then uh, my, my laptop died. And so I wasn't able to prepare the way that I usually would want to prepare for a Sunday um, as I was just praying this morning and thinking about it, I felt like the Lord was in it. Um, and that's not to like give me permission to preach bad. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh man, here we go. No, um, I felt like the Lord was in it because today is a special day. And, and even I felt like the, the weather was prophesying to me today. It just cooled down. It's a time to slow down and have like a, a, a fireside chat like a family, and I, I want to speak from my heart, and I was able to get a couple of my notes um, just to keep me uh, on track a little bit, but um, I want to talk about um, our community and, and the overarching theme. I, I want to say that community isn't pretty, but it's beautiful, and I think that that's something that we could say uh, about a lot of things in life. 
um, that it's almost as if we know that the things that come too easily or too quickly aren't that valuable, but the things that you fight for, those are the things of greatest value in our life, right? You know, when you, when you fall in love, you have that honeymoon period where your brain is just dumping all those happy chemicals into your system, right? But love is not the chemicals, is it? No, because those, those feelings are fleeting and, and they're, they're not always there. But what is enduring is true, other-centered, self-giving, covenantal love. That's when we choose one another when it's really difficult, when we don't necessarily look all that pretty on the outside. You know, any, any married couple who's been married for you know, 50 years, when, when they look at each other, they're seeing each other on so many levels, right? Because they probably don't look as a you know, front cover of a magazine ready as they did 50 years ago when they got married. But this, this couple that we're seeing with our eyes, and so you see a lot of, you see the wrinkles and you see the age, but there's something so much deeper that we're seeing beyond that. We're seeing the years together. We're seeing character that's been forged through battles. We're seeing virtues from heaven that have been imparted and fought for. We're seeing those times that we, we cried together, laughed together, those times that we, you know, that the high heights and, and the low lows, and, and um, that's the kind of community that I want us to be fighting for. You know, when, when saints stick together, it's something very, very sacred. Even the, the purpose of communion, Jesus was saying when you gather together, and it was the assumption that you'll always gather together. When you gather together, and, and on top of it, he doubles down in giving us his body and, and saying that when you take this, you're remembering me. And communion is, is like a, a, a joining of a couple words. It's just common union, right? Our common union is Christ. We've been eternally, irre- irrevocably united with Christ. And that means that we are united together. And that means that when we eat the body, we're proclaiming that you're my brother, you're my sister, Come what may, you're my brother, you're my sister forever. And there's something uh, not just earthly, tangible, logistically powerful about it. There's something uh, like mystically powerful about it. You know, receiving communion uh, for the first 1,500 years of the church uh, was the high point of any gathering. The reason that you gathered was to take the Lord's Supper um, and of course, things have changed, and I, I don't want to get into the history of how things have changed, but since the, the Protestant Reformation and definitely the onset of the secular age, and then definitely the onset of the technological age, we've become a highly individualistic culture. And I believe that in that, we have lost many of the wonderful benefits of being a tribe, of being together, of seeing our kids grow up together. We just... We just uh, celebrated Casey Hahn is one of our elders, Casey and Cheryl, and their oldest son just turned uh, 13, and we want, Casey wanted to do like a rite of passage for him, and so Casey gathered 
uh, some of his uh, close core friends from the church, men that we've run with together, and he, and he brought his son, Jet, who's 13, and, and we gathered around a campfire and admonished Jet into his manhood, essentially. And there's this beautiful moment when Casey walked uh, Jet off into the distance. And, um, and Casey came back and said, I want you guys all to call to him to come and join the circle, but he's not gonna join the circle until he, he hears his dad's voice say, come and join the circle. <laughs> and it's just powerful. Like those are the kinds of things that we get to do together if we stick it out. Um, you know, when, when Jesus' church had grown to its apex of size, it was uh, actually in, in John 6, if you kind of study the, the trajectory of his earthly ministry, right in, in John 6, thousands of people had gathered. And I don't, I don't want to get into proving that. You can just take my word for it. It is one of his biggest gatherings right there in, in John 6. And Jesus, they, they, they had come to hear the rabbi. They'd come to see what he can do, to hear what he can say. They'd, they'd heard these rumors and they wanted, they wanted a sermon. They wanted to be uh, um, you know, enraptured by what he had to say. They wanted to be captivated. They wanted, maybe they even wanted to be entertained. They were there because they were curious. People came for all sorts of reasons, but one thing was for sure, they came to hear what Jesus had to say and see what he could do. And it was in that moment that Jesus gave his most controversial controversial message, a message so out there that they couldn't yet understand it. They couldn't, they didn't even have really ears to hear it. Um, about 10,000 people were present and he said, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And you can imagine like that the first time he says it, people are like, what did, what? What did he, did he just say what I think he said? And then he doubled down. He's, he's like, my, my body is food indeed. My flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. And they're like, yeah, he really did say what we thought. Why did we walk across the countryside to hear this lunatic? And then he tripled down and said, my body is food for you. My blood is drink indeed. And he, he went four times, five times, six times. He said seven times that his body is the bread that comes down from heaven in one chapter. He said, your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, but he who eats me will live forever. See, they, they came to hear a sermon, but they didn't know what they really needed, which was his body and his blood to be forever joined in him together, but they didn't have ears to hear it yet. And you get to John 6, 6, 6, and it says that many of his disciples deserted him and followed him no longer. At that point, Jesus had the, it was his mega church moment is when he should have brought his Easter message. <laughs> what he actually said was the one message they needed to hear. It was actually the message of being unified and joining together and never giving up on one another, but it came out, it was so offensive to them, but the, the, the message that was meant to join them was the message that scattered them because they couldn't hear it. 
And they, Jesus turns to his disciples and says if he even gives them permission to head on out. He's like, do you guys want to leave me too? And Peter says something in that moment. I think is key for all of us to understand what it takes to endure offense and stay connected. Peter says to him, to whom shall we go? You know, usually uh, when people say answer in, in that kind of manner, they would say, where am I gonna go? Right? But something had happened in Peter And at that moment, instead of saying, where am I going to go? He says, to whom shall I go? Because Peter had tasted of the Lord. And forever, his home would not be a location, but it would be a person. He wasn't saying like, uh, you know, this 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 is a great place to, you know, raise my kids. We're right by the sea. We like the vegetables here. No, he's saying, wherever you go, I go. You're my home. To whom shall we go? And then he says, only you have the words of eternal life. And I believe that those are two keys for any believer that we need to endure through any kind of offense and stay connected in the community that God has called us to because offense will come. It might even come from me. It might come from another leader here. You might be offended. I have been offended. I have been hurt. And that moment comes and you have to think to yourself, where am I gonna find another him? Where, Where am I gonna find another her? You have, to be, you have to have those deep friendships that have been forged where you see the treasure in one another. And it has to be a community where Jesus is obviously central. His words, only you have the words of eternal life. When Jesus gave us the, the sacrament of communion, he was prophesying, he was you know, foreshadowing that he was going to be torn apart. He, he said to them, before his body was broken, this is my body, which is broken for you. He's indicating what's going to happen to him, that his, the flesh would be ripped off his back. And like it says in Psalm 22, that all of his bones would be hanging out of joint, that he would be pulled apart There'd be pieces of them scattered all over that torture chamber, right? And he said, do this in remembrance of me, which is the opposite of dismember. It's remember, because he was pulled apart, ripped apart. And who are the members of Christ's body? It's us. He says, he's actually saying, put me back together, guys. Saying, you're, you're the members of my body. When you gather together, you will be remembering me because I'm about to be torn apart in the physical, but I'm gonna be put back together in the spiritual. The Lord told me one time that we, uh, we love to drink the blood, but we struggle to eat the body which was actually demonstrated today. I was trying to choke down that dry wafer. (laughs) 
<clears throat> we love to drink the blood, but it's, it's hard to eat the body. But he said to me also, like, he said, but if you become the body, I'll supply the blood. See, the body is kind of the hard part. It's, it's us eating of one another. Saying, it's, that, it's saying, like, your battles are my battles. Like, when you need me, I'm there for you. And I, and I know that when I need you, you're going to be there for me. And that's the hard part. And it's, it's hard because we make messes, don't we? You know, we, we've all had uh, probably moments in our life where we've struggled with some sort of addiction, some sort of thing that we've turned to. But what a lot of us don't realize, what I didn't realize is that the worst addiction of all and the hardest one to kick is um, going back and operating out of my old self, out of my false ident- identity. And it's... A, that, that kind of addiction, that kind of oppression of turning back to your false identity is the kind of addiction that we have many relapses of in, in this life. But a real community, a real community that is of the body and blood of Jesus can see someone who is making a mess and say, you're not your mess. I know you. I know who you are. I know what you're called to. Those are, those are moments that we actually get to forge uh, the deepest kind of connection and friendship with people. You know, um, there are just so many benefits of being in the body, and I'm gonna wrap this up pretty quickly because what we're, what we're heading to, I just wanna let you guys know, we're gonna uh, uh, introduce new small group leaders here in a minute, but, you know, things happen in the body of Christ, the, like benefits happen in the body of Christ that people don't get anywhere else. Right? We've all been like saved at times because we were rightly connected to the body. You know, Ashley and I, we've, we've decided, you know, we've purposed our whole life to be vitally, intimately connected to the body of Christ. And, and at one point, um, many years ago, uh, we experienced a miscarriage and it was incredibly, incredibly painful. And... Um, and it deeply it impacted us financially, emotionally. We, I mean, we're the type of people, we're like you. We're the type of people that as soon as we find out we're pregnant, we got like a list of five names and we're praying, prophesying over the identity of that child. You know, like it's as if that child is, is metaphorically already in our arms. And so we lost uh, this baby and it was um, just such a, such a punch, you know, knocked the wind out of us and we were intimately connected to a body. And friends knew what we were going through. They rallied together. Um, people uh, donated money to like a GoFundMe. I can't remember what it was, but um, our, our friends rallied around us. And when we got out of the hospital, we found out that all of our um, medical bills were paid. We didn't have insurance at the time. We were like missionary-minded at that time. We, we had to... We had no insurance. All of our medical bills were, were paid for and our mortgage for the next month was covered so that we could spend 30 days to grieve without worrying about the logistics. And not a lot of people outside the body of Christ have stories like that. You know, if they do, it's the kind of thing that like makes it onto Us Magazine or something. You know, it makes it into the news uh, because, oh my gosh, there are wonderful, kind people out there that rallied around this this family that experienced um, brokenness. Um, I want to say that uh, we've all been hurt. 
And if you haven't, um, that's awesome. I'd love to meet you. Um, <laughs> sometimes people are come to a church and they're hoping, I, I, I hope that I don't get hurt here. Um, um, and I want to say that you, you, you probably will if you're living rightly. If you're vulnerable, if you've let people into those deep places in your life, and you are in deep places of other people's lives, and when I say you probably will be, that's not me giving us permission to be jerks, obviously. That's, me, not, that's not me giving like our leadership permission to not pursue really healthy leadership and try to get rid of any kind of toxic you know, environment. Like I am incredibly motivated. I mean, those are some of my favorite podcasts, just to listen to how to avoid toxic leadership environments. So like, you have that kind of commitment from me, but I can't promise any of you that you won't be hurt. I can kind of promise you the opposite. But here's what I want us to... Um, internally commit to, and, and this isn't me like taking a roll call or membership. I want to like change our perspective and think I'm going to get involved in a church for 10 years. I, it doesn't even have to be this one. Like I, I'm giving you permission like to go find, find the one, but you're not going to find a perfect one. And if you did, you're there to screw it up. Let's, let's change our vision. Let's think legacy, okay, guys? Let's think 10 years. Like, right now, you know 40-year-old Jeremy. I want you to want to know 50-year-old Jeremy, to, to be committed to see what I'm like when I'm 50, <laughs> and to journey together. And I want to commit that, that, that to you. And again, you know what happened in John 6 is when Jesus said, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood as people scattered but what he was giving them was the message, the most powerful message of what it looks like to be unified, which is what I'm trying to communicate today. This isn't manipulation. This isn't some weird twisted shepherding movement again. This isn't me trying to control your life or take away your every Thursday night for the rest of your life to go to small group. <laughs> like, I'm saying com to commit to a family. In fact, like, I... I'm not just thinking 10 years, but like, if you want to know what I think, it gives me great zeal and excitement and passion to think 20, 30 years down the road. I want 30 years down the road, we're probably not going to be in this room, but I want to, I want to look out on the same people 30 years from now. I want to see dozens of faces who I have walked with, journeyed with through the hardest and best moments of their life. I wanna see dozens of faces whose children we helped marry and whose parents we helped bury. People that I've wept with and laughed with. When we gather together in this room, it's an amazing big you know, celebration of worship and, and intimate things you know, can happen, real heart-to-heart -heart connections can happen. But um, you know, in, in the book of Acts, the, the, the disciples, that first century church, they 
were committed to four things, and you can read about it in Acts 2.42. It says that uh, they were continually together, and they were devoted. Can you say devoted? They were continually, to, continually together, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Those are the four things that community was devoted to. And it said that they went from house to house. Like they were in one another's lives and they knew one another's needs and they showed up to take care of one another's needs. They showed up to pray and to take the Lord's Supper together. They were intimately connected. And so there are things that, um, that are harder to facilitate in this room because there's so many of us. You know, what happened in John 6 is Jesus lost 10,000 people, but he doubled down and gained the allegiance of 12. I think that this is the season more than ever that like as our church is growing, which is awesome and scary and wonderful and crazy, and as our church is growing, it might be more important than ever to have your 12 to be able to look at someone and and say, to whom? (laughs) To whom can I go? I can't find another one like you. And as the church is growing, it might be more important than ever to, to find your 12 and to find your three and to find your one. Obviously, we're always gonna have the same one, aren't we? But having the one as much as it you know, sounds good to sing it, is not good. Adam had the one, didn't he? He had what we wanted. He walked with the Lord in the cool of the day, one-on-one, face-to-face, and God looked at that situation and said, this isn't good. You need someone just like you. It's not good for us to think that all we need is the Lord, our Bible, and the woods. That is the origin story of every cult. <laughs> we're always gonna have our one, we're, and we're always gonna have our closest friend, we're always gonna have our spouse, but who, we need our three. We need our, our, our Peter, James, and John. We need our 12, we need our posse. What they're our ride or die buddies, you know, we, the people that we, we know are gonna be in the foxhole with us when the foxhole comes. 